So today, as part of our podcast series, which is powered by Upside Global, we have the honor to interview Dr. Andy Barr, a consultant for the Brooklyn Nets. Andy is also the founder of Quantum Performance, and he previously worked for the New York Knicks in the NBA, NYFC in the MLS, as well as Manchester City, the Saints, and Bolton in the Premier League. So Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Great. So, uh, Andy, what I want to talk to you about today was first talk about your, your background and then your role with the Brooklyn Nets. And then we'll also touch on the importance of load management and sleep management. And then we will talk about your favorite technologies and the types of technology that you would want to build if you had unlimited resources and funding. So how does it sound? Sounds great. Let's get to it. <laughs> great. So, Andy, so could you start by telling us about your background for the audience? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I'm a, a physical therapist and strength coach. I also have a master's in sports science. I actually started my career as a professional soccer player. I left home at 15 uh, to do an apprenticeship with Luton Town. And um, I uh, was there for three years, had a pro contract, um, was unfortunate with injuries. Yeah. Um, quite make the grade, went and played non-league while I trained as a physiotherapist. Fortunately, the the players union really take care of their players and support me all the way through. And um, pretty much straight out of university, I got a job um, as a physio with Bolton Wanderers who uh, were in the Premier League. And um, it was a great foundation for me because they were leading uh, the forefront of sports science and medicine at the time. And um, it was uh, really great for me to have that as my first experience uh, in a, in a, as a member of staff in a, yeah. in a sport environment, built a lot of great contacts and friends there, still keep in touch with a lot of the guys during that period, it was uh, from 2000 to 2007. And then yeah. um, from there, I moved on to work with Southampton and also Manchester City. Um, my philosophy always being more of a proactive uh, approach, trying to help uh, reduce injury risk and look at all the different factors around that with my main area of uh, interest being uh, movement, biomechanics uh, and action training that relates specifically to sport. Yeah. Um, and from there, I... Um, decided I wanted to have a new challenge and work in the US. Um, mm -hmm. And I got off the role with the New York Knicks uh, 2009, um, where I had some great years there, worked there for about six years, and then decided to transfer back into soccer. I yeah. worked at New York City FC for a couple of years, helped set up the sports, uh, sports medical department in their inaugural season. And then um, I wanted to actually just uh, expand my scope of uh, a practice in terms of who, who I could work with multiple different athletes. So I decided to set my own business up and move to uh, LA um, where, where I knew it was a place where a lot of athletes go to do off season rehab training and recovery. So yeah. I set myself up there. That's when I developed quantum performance um, and started uh, doing consultancy with different teams and individual athletes. And I've been doing that for, uh, the last six years now and uh, part of the consultancy that I've been doing more recently was with uh, the Brooklyn Nets and yeah um, yeah so that's that's really my my background yeah that's great so uh, congrats on that so and how was the transition well first of all to move from Europe to the US and then you know what's the big difference working from a basketball team versus a soccer team your opinion yeah the, the the biggest thing that like struck me at first which i i didn't really appreciate as much was the travel schedule and the vastness of the travel yeah um with the condensed schedule um the game itself you know is is uh, is intense and there's obviously difference in the game um from soccer to basketball 
um and the the the, the soccer game itself there's a there's a lot more um you know distance covered and it's a longer game longer duration yeah. and you can't play you know soccer games back to back because the players need more recovery basketball you know the players do do back to backs but the biggest challenge and, and the biggest thing that was um a bit of a shock to my system too was the actual um travel schedule the the times that the players would get in uh after travel that night and then their expectation to play games the following day and then yeah. travel into different cities this can be like that's six to seven different cities in a week sometimes in basketball you mean games a week yeah in basketball versus soccer you might do one to two games a week obviously the games um are harder but and take more toll on the body but you get more recovery time in between and there's um you know less travel and expectation so when i worked in in soccer there was it was very rare that you were you know up late the night before and then playing a game whereas in the nba we might get into a city at two or three a.m and then the players are expected to perform cool. that same day they get up you know they recover as best they can might have a nap in the afternoon and then they're out playing and they fly out to the next city maybe there's a day of recovery and then on to the next city so like if you did a west coast swing for instance you play you're on the road for maybe 10 or 11 days you might play yeah. four or five games in different cities maybe a back to back so the intensity of that schedule and then the, the fatigue that that builds um and the grind was a big difference to to what i found working in soccer and, and then also the ability in soccer to kind of develop fitness through the season you have more opportunity yeah. to do that because you can periodize yeah. um especially if you're not like playing two games a week you can actually have an impact through the week whereas in basketball it's just more about maintenance and freshness and recovery and that's a yeah. constant you know cycle of that and try to avoid injuries too right well yeah injuries are a consequence of all those things so yeah <laughs> so well partly because it's be tough yeah uh um, yeah so I guess uh, how did you end up working for the Brooklyn Nets? And because you were you were working for the the NYFC, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, as I said, I I decided to set my own business up in LA, um, where I could, you know, be a little bit more um, available to different sports and multiple athletes. Yeah, and um, just through my network and. Um, my experience of working with, you know, a lot of top athletes and elite athletes. Um, when Kevin Durant got his Achilles injury, the Nets reached out to me and asked uh, if I would help with his rehab process. Yeah, um, one, because sense. he comes to LA a lot and just two, because of my experience working in the NBA and my reputation. So that's kind of how I got involved to start with and help them through his rehab. Um, and then I've been working with them as a consultant ever since for like two and a half years now. And I, and I kind of guess because, and like you mentioned, right, Kevin Durant just goes to LA a lot during the off season. So I kind of guess that that's the reason why I get the connection happened there too. Oh, for so. sure. Yeah, exactly. So that was definitely one of the reasons you get a lot of athletes that come out here. And that's really why I based myself here too, because I knew that this is where athletes come to, to um, train in their off season and also yeah. the rehabilitation. So um, placing myself here with my network uh, made sense when I decided to do that. I mean, the weather is not bad either, right? It's better than... Uh, yeah, uh, that's definitely, <laughs> definitely an advantage. The weather, the recovery, you know, the atmosphere. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a great place to come and do... Not uh, a bad spot. Yeah, I used to live in LA in West Hollywood uh, back in 2008. So great, great place. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. Um, yeah. Um, so next question. How important is load management and sleep management as you probably add recovery, right, uh, in your line of work? 
And what's your philosophy when it comes to those things? Well, I think, you know, load management is like a kind of a loosely used term. And yeah. um, it's, you know, overused, to be honest. I think, yeah. I think keeping players fresh and um, available is essential for any, you know, uh, for any coach uh, mm-hmm. working with their team. So, you know, that's obviously the goal. Freshness, freshness allows them to perform optimally. And when we say freshness, it's not just physiologically, it's psychologically. Yeah. So when we look at load, it's like, what is the load and what are we looking at? And what, yeah. are, the, what are the ingredients that are applied to um, load management? Um, and why do we need to manage load for, you know, for freshness? And, you know, we need load for adaptation too, for, for growth and, and for improvement. So I think, you know, when we say load management, it's really like, you know, game management, like team playing management. And yeah. that's kind of the starting point. And if we start with that as, the reference, the game, as what we're trying to manage and understanding what the characteristics of the game are, then you can see what ingredients within that we can manage through the technologies that are available. Um, but in general, you know, it's, it's extremely important to, to be aware of that. Um, but I think we don't have a full grasp on all the different dynamics of load right now. And sometimes we hang our hat on things that might not actually be given us the true information that we need. Um, but if we start with the game and, and playing time and understanding, you know, that as the most important thing, the coaches are determining whether the players are fresh from how we observe their performance. And then we look at what information we have to support um, what we're finding. I think that's a better, better way to look at it. But um, yeah, load management, sleep and recovery, especially in the industry that I'm more recently familiar with in, in basketball, it's extremely important because, you know, if, if, if the players aren't fresh, they're under-recovered and they're overloaded um, excessively, that can lead to potential injury yeah. um, and obviously drop off in performance. And, you know, it's a performance sport. So we want to make sure that, we're, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can to keep them players fresh. But knowing what can cause overload is key. And it's not just physiologically or external load that we should be looking at. There's a lot of other factors that we need to take into consideration. And unfortunately, we can't always measure them all. Yeah, and you mentioned sleep, right? So uh, in sleep, for example, and I, I the fact that you know the players they have to take red eyes and they they, they get to oh. uh, the destination very late, they have very little sleep. That must be super important, right? And we work with companies. I give you some examples. One company, actually a few, uh, anywhere from a small sleeping mask that use lights and sound to make you sleep in let's say 15 minutes. Uh, we also work with a company that had a bracelet that stimulates uh, brain endorphins, which uh, yeah. makes you sleep and then kills the pain. And recently I was using a, a, a small device. It's, it looks like a red light, but what it does right. is it, it stimulates natural melatonin in the brain. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. And I used it and some teams, many teams have used this device. And I felt like uh, it was faster for me to fall asleep. And then I had better sleep. I was more refreshed when I got up. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I think that's yeah. the kind of stuff that we're getting to a point where there's some really interesting technologies, right? But they have to be easy to use. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, sleep is the number one thing for, you know, recovery um, and sleep deprivation is, you know, it's it's really impactful on your performance. So the better quality and quantity sleep that you can get um, is really a factor um, or knowing strategies to to um, 
to aid when you can't get the, the hours of sleep is really important too. So I think, you know, it's, I, I like the technologies that you're talking about in terms of allowing for better optimized sleep and, and yeah. just giving strategies to, to help athletes, um, you know, manage better sleep and, and um, improve their quality based off of the environments that they're in. I think I love that. I think that's really important. Um, what can be a hindrance sometimes though is like, technologies that inform athletes when they've had you know a bad sleep or they're not ready yeah. and then it's like well i've got to play tonight <laughs> now yeah. i've got that in the back of my head what am i going to do about it what well, i think so it's the purpose too right i mean exactly um, yeah exactly so but i i, I yeah I, I think sleep is you know the number one thing for recovery sleep nutrition and then you know that that you know it really provides that optimal freshness that you need so it's it's a huge part of things that we need to just keep hopefully developing our understanding of in terms of the technologies that are out there and and finding ways to really help athletes and just you know just in general um how we can really maximize sleep because there's just so many things that disrupt that in our in our society nowadays so i mean the, starting the, with checking your phone at three o'clock in the morning and with the, the blue light and then you can't go back to sleep Right. Exactly. Those distractions that are just part of, you know, our everyday life nowadays can really influence our sleep quality. And then, you know, just drives how we feel the next day and the decisions that we make are changing because, you know, we're not as um, on the ball as we should be based off of the, the poor sleep quality that we're getting. So I think it's such an important thing for us to just keep really looking into and improving and developing. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, look, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, You know, I had some sleep issues in some ways, and uh, it got much, much better. But I think once your, your your sleep is disrupted, your mood is is impacted, your fatigue level, everything. Um, It's like there's a filter that changes through into your brain. It's like yeah. when you sleep well, you yeah. can recognize you, you're on the ball. You can recognize. Oh, you know it right away. Yeah. Yeah, like you see patterns much more quicker and effectively that you don't see when you're in a fatigue state. So being yeah. fresh, having that ability to recognize patterns, that allows you to perform better. And yeah. that obviously that's what the achievement is. But as soon as you don't sleep well, it's like the brain hasn't been cleaned. Yeah. So you become more sluggish. You don't make as good of decisions. You don't recognize yeah. things quickly. You experience things differently. You experience fatigue quicker. Fatigue yeah. is an experience pains and experience you experience that on a heightened level it can really affect with chronic pain and you know it's like there's a filter that goes into your brain and the information mm -hmm. that's coming in from outside of the outside of the body and inside the body that is opened up and you just get much more information coming in and then you know it's a lot harder for you to you become more sensitive to stuff where when you've got good sleep your sensitivity to everything is dampened and you're you're able to filter the things that are necessary within that moment but when you when you're sleep deprived it's a lot harder and you become you know distracted and more sensitive to pain more sensitive to what people say more sensitive yep. to fatigue. so there's all those factors more That's sensitive exactly right. yeah and i think people take tend to take sleep for granted but once you lose your sleep then it's a big problem so yeah for sure like um, having kids and then trying to <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> exactly. you really start to appreciate you have your kids and then you got to go to work so yeah that, that's very true uh so now you know because we our audience is you know lots of startups and entrepreneurs uh we're very creative and we come across technology like the one i mentioned on sleep for example uh but how, how important are technologies in your daily job i mean like 
technologies are vast aren't they so like it's extremely yeah. important like, we wouldn't be able to do this call without the technology you know yeah. and like they just help us with so many different methods of communication from our phones to like our laptops to emailing so it's it's essential for for my job right now um mm-hmm. I, we use it for um monitoring player health um giving better insights for tracking um tracking um, certain types of load, external load, internal load. Yeah. Uh, so th- there's there's many different uses for it. Um, but as I said before, it's like uh, the, the the biggest um, problem I think is often not is is cr- let, having the technology as your objective reference and the numbers mm-hmm. that that tech gives you. Yeah. And then it, if you if you use that as your objective reference then you only work towards the technology data when really it's just data and it's just an ingredient from a bigger context that needs to be understood. So I think um, we do use technology. I love technology, but I don't start from the bottom up when I look at technology and look at what the technology provides. I start from the top down, look at what the game is, the context, the environment, and then see where the technology can provide insights into certain um, characteristics of the game or of the environment that I'm in to help make more informed decisions. But that isn't my objective reference that I need to train towards. You know, it's like, what's the game? What, what do we need to focus on within that game? Can we measure it? And if we can't, why can't we? And then, you know, what, what techno- technology is available to help us, you know, measure that or monitor things. But yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's growing. It's like, you know, it's crazy how much new tech is coming out all the time. Um, but I feel like a lot of it is kind of driven by, um, let, it's not enough of it driven by the practitioners from the mm-hmm. top down. Uh, and I think sometimes the, the game and the nuances of the game are kind of lost because of um, the numbers and the technology. And I think we can do a better job at like starting uh, or understanding, um, you know, where it fits from the game reference um, and then we'll get more effective use out of it. And then I think there'll be a better um, application as well in the future. So, so when, when you say game reference, you mean it doesn't fit into the workflow of the, of the, 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 the athletes or what do you mean by that? Well, I think when you look at what a game, especially in, in, in sport, uh, a team sport, yeah, it's like what's the highest order of the game and what what is what what do we what do we know we need when we're playing in team sports and it's like from the highest level it's communication communication understanding um strategy and and being able to communicate with with the environment and then communicate internally can you measure that that's the most important in team sports can you measure that with technology not yet decision making Mm -hmm. That's the next one. The best yeah. players make the best decisions and the best players are great communicators. Can yeah. you measure decision-making well? And are we are we taking that into consideration? The psycho- psychological factors really kind of are, are the biggest influence of success within the team sport. But often what we look at is skill, which yeah. you know we can measure t- technical outputs and then also fitness which we can get some insight which is often inaccurate but some insight with gps data so but we hang our hat on these things and we we pay less attention to the other things which i think are more important and if we could measure them and then understand that 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 gives more context of the game so understanding what the game is from that perspective and then knowing that 
you know the the fitness aspect of it is important but we only have um we don't know we don't we can't capture all the data accurately of, of that but the way that the the strategy of the game is played at times can really influence the data and if you don't know that context then you can make decisions based off of the data when actually it's just the way the game was played for that instance so it's like knowing the game knowing the context and building a reference from there is more important than looking at data using the data to then drive your decision making you should be using the data to understand the outcomes of a game or the outcomes if that makes sense no look it's, it's i think it's very very true what you just said because when i when we deal with vendors and wearable companies or whatever they always focus on fitness they always focus on but they're not looking at communication they're not looking at strategy so much right because exactly and i think because they don't they don't most of those guys they don't come from the, the sports background they don't have, they don't right. have the, the, the background right no and it's hard to measure you know right. it's not it tangible is. fitness data is easier to measure but that doesn't mean it's the game it's a generic measurement like the information that we're getting are just small ingredients yeah. of billions of ingredients that are available when somebody's playing the game so it's like you shouldn't hang your hat on that information you should understand that it's going to help give some insight but let's be realistic a lot of the data from gps2 is like inaccurate so it's like you gotta you gotta be careful how much of it that you're applying weight to versus you know just knowing what the game is understanding the context and then looking at okay this data makes sense within this instance how can it help us make better decisions or track the things that you know we we feel are of value within that are relevant to the game versus the things that aren't of value well you know it, it kind of reminds me of uh, the former commissioner mr stern um mm. he had a great quote when he was talking about his vision of the future of basketball where yeah. you know with all those sensors that measures hydration fatigue level he was imagining and he was the quote was i can't remember the exact quote but what he was saying is you can imagine a coach a performance coach on on the bench on the side you know the game and he would say look this guy is getting dehydrated taking him out of the game or he's fatigued right so with the ability to make decision you know in real time but right now that's not possible because the nba doesn't allow the user wearables during nba game right but maybe in the future oh. that'd be possible right yeah i mean hopefully i mean i think that the game is you know the starting point so the more information that we can get from actual game yeah. and the more contextual information the better so not just like the gps information but yeah. information around you know the communication strategies and style and if there's ways that we could measure that and look at yeah. how the players are making decisions and like tie that into the context and are decisions being made slower and is that because they're fatigued or is that because they need to train that certain thing are, are things related to the fact that they are executing their skill poorly or is it the ability to uh, make is it their actual decision making itself and often there's a confusion between the decision making execution and the actual fitness levels and sometimes it's just poor decision making it's yeah. nothing to do with execution and fitness it's just a poor decision and communication so it's more of a strategic or a play development on decision making that needs to be improved or monitored and understanding that context really helps with you know getting a better better uh, understanding of the overall outcome of what needs to be worked on with that player and, and sometimes you know you talk about the context communication if you play in a very loud arena you can even hear your teammate that's a problem but i just don't know how you can actually solve that you know what i mean 
Um, no, but there's like knowing that that's a factor is yeah. huge and that's going to affect the psychological performance. So maybe right. there's ways you can train, you know, the, the psychology of the athlete or create an environment that's more stressful when they're training. Yeah. So it's like knowing what their environment is and what they're exposed to helps is helpful for when you bring an athlete back or yeah. when you train athletes. So, the, and that's an, an ingredient of playing professional sport. It's like yeah. that, that environment, the emotions, the decisions that are made by referees, having opponents, all these things affect, you know, the decision-making and the communication. And, and when you're at a heightened stress level, you know, yeah. your decision-making and communication is changed. So how do we measure that and heightened stress levels within real time and see how that affects decisions? And then are they making those decisions inaccurately more, you know, more frequently, less frequently? And what are we doing to change that? And how can we see whether that's related to fatigue or not? Or are they making those decisions well, but they're just getting less opportunities or is it a, a strat strategic situation that is causing them to, to play poorly? So there's just so many different variables within the game itself that, you know, are often overlooked and we blame it on fitness or energy or, you know, things that, you know, are easily measured, but maybe not yeah. relevant. That makes sense. That kind of reminds me of, you know, we work with uh, um, Dr. Z, Len, He's the, mm. the mentor coach of uh, Bill Crosby for the Penguins. Okay. And he was the mentor coach for um, uh, for Steph Curry, 2019. Uh, but, uh, you know, biofeedback is also uh, an area where some teams are very receptive to it and some yeah. teams don't even want to hear about it. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's where there needs to be an area of growth, you know. I yeah. think you have to be receptive to that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so going back to technology, so what are your favorite technologies today and why? Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, outside of my phone and my laptop, yeah. um, <laughs> I think, you know, I, I do like um, the some of the, the GPS technologies that we use to give some yeah. insights. Um, I think that's helpful, uh, like I said, in the right context. Um, we also use uh, technologies like Kangatech, which also provide uh, information in the weight room for monitoring. Um, there's, I like force plates, that's like a technology to give insights into, you know, how uh, players are. Uh, I know Kangatech, yeah. I know some MLS team will be yeah. using it, yeah. Yeah, I like that technology. I like force decks and force plates. Yeah. Um, so technologies like that are very helpful. Um, and I think um, we, 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 that they help with monitoring and just understanding, you know, where, where a player's at. Um, yeah. And then there's a, another technology that I've been recently working with that I've developed, which is a, a biofeedback tool, which allows um, the athlete to, to train uh, movements that relate to their game in real time. So you can put yeah. sensors and computer vision um, use, using computer vision sensors you can yeah. track how the player's moving so they can and they can see um, how they're moving in real time on the screen and you set thresholds which allows them to to get that biofeedback uh, and to improve the, the quality of their movement in relation to an action that they might do on the court if there's if there's a problem that they've found on the court and they wanted to want to try and work on that or if they're coming back from an injury it's really good to kind of get baselines on those type of um, things that they need to um, be able to do when they're playing on the court. So I, I use that technology quite a bit. I really enjoyed using that. I get a lot of use out of that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what else do we use? Um, 
that's that's what I can think of right now. I think you can get overloaded with technology sometimes, and there can mm-hmm. be, and you can collect data for the sake of collecting data. Yeah. Um, but what I find is, um, if if you get and collect data, you've got to use it, make it mm-hmm. useful, and um, so just you're better off just having like three or four technologies that you can hang your hat on that fit really well within your culture that provide you with information that you can understand within the context of your sport that really allow you to make good or more informed decisions so you're better off having fewer that you have make more use out of the information than having like lots of different tech just to say you have it um, but not really have any impact with the information that you get from it. Well, I can tell you that from running surveys with teams, hundreds of teams, uh, we ran a survey, and I think on average, the team were using no more than four devices, uh, wearable performance devices. So otherwise, like you said, and many times, sometimes when the teams buy a bunch of performance devices, they end end up not using them. So when they end up doing it, it's like a tech audit, and they get rid of a bunch of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And that makes um, sense. It just collects dust in the end if they don't use it. I mean, it's not cheap either. So every time no. you got to pay and they have a limited budget. So you got to be careful, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. You want to utilize what you have and, you know, be spend wisely and get the most out of, out of it. Otherwise, you, you know, you just have it there just to, to help recruit people essentially. And some teams yeah. do that or some universities, yeah. do that. they have great facilities and set up, but they never actually use it. They just use it to recruit and say, look, what gonna, got. Yeah, I mean, I, I, could, I, could, help I, could, I could name some teams who do that actually. Yeah, um, me too. I think, yeah, uh, and actually, one of them I, I think you used to work for, but I'm, I'm not going to say. Um, so, um, if you had unlimited engineering engineering resources and funding, what types of technology would you build, and why? In your perfect world, I think just going back to what we were discussing before, like a, a technology that helps really um, develop and provide greater insights into game specific context. So that communication and decision-making and understanding that better um, in real time and also having a way to make that more tangible so we can you know, develop better communication and decision-making of the athletes because that's what you know, leads to everything else, right? So yeah. I think if, we can, if that's the highest order, then we should have more focus with that. And I feel like communication just in general in our society is becoming more and more polarized. And yeah. I think, you know, we're getting more influenced by um, social media in certain directions. So like if there's ways that we can use this technology to help improve our communication and yeah. improve, you know, decision-making, it's not only going to help sport, but also it's going to help, you know, society in general. So I think having a bigger focus on stuff that creates uh, simulations and uh, improve communication and also equality i feel like that's why i have i have a big fascination with um ar and vr yeah in that world and i think what that's going to provide are, are, are some of these instances what i'm talking about the ability to kind of interlink computer vision and and getting more in, in more more understanding of um how people are moving and performing in context of the situations of real life and in, and in a game and then being able to develop that and have, have more impact um, in those areas. But that's so that interesting because be- I never thought about that communication aspect. I think we, like you said, we tend to overlook that, right? It's the highest order of, of life, right? If you can't communicate, then you can't do anything. So, 
you know, that's number one in sport, number one in life. Like the best communicators are the best leaders, they're the best yeah. performers. Um, but the sad thing is nowadays our communication skills are just like really just go into technology too much. So it's like everything's kind of like like in a team environment now. It's shocking when you you're in a locker room yeah. or when you're around the team and everyone's just on the phone. Yeah. Looking at the you're phone, right. like you know, it's just there's so much screen time. So it's like, how do we how do we embrace that? Because that's is what it is. You mm-hmm. know, that that technology is evolving, we are evolving. Um, you've got to accept that, you know, screens are part of our life. It's only get more, going to get more and more, but then how do we build our tech to then help with improving communication uh, in a way where we can still interact and there's less miscommunication. So I think, you know, thinking about that as a way for the future, I think will be be really valuable. For sure. I mean, it's, it's technology. Like I said, I mean, disrupt your sleep, uh, you know, your, your ability to communicate with people, um so it's it's becoming too much sometimes um yeah but it i mean it's it's here and it's only going to get there's only going to be more tech and it's only going to get better and more advanced but i you can see how like polarized we are in the us and like even globally now there's like there's just so much miscommunication and people are like operating on different levels so it's like how do we use the tech now to, to, to our advantage, to stop that happening, to improve our overall communication, to improve that in sport and to improve decision-making and, and rounding um, our, uh, you know, our behaviors um, and diversifying our behaviors and then providing, you know, more equality across the board. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, oh, last question. Um, I didn't put that in my, in, in my, my questions, but obviously, you know, uh, I've been to the, the Brooklyn Nets games. Uh, I mean, you work with one of the best, probably one of maybe the best basketball player right now, Kevin Durant. Uh, yeah. You work with him on a daily basis. What What do you think makes him special? And I asked the questions to Marco Nunez about Kobe Bryant, right? When I when I talked to him, uh, what do you think makes Kevin Durant such a special player? In your he opinion? loves the game. I've never seen anyone love the game as much as him. Really? It's like he's just obsessed with it. Even though he's just obsessed with basketball, he'd be playing every day if he could. <laughs> like, he never take a day off. <laughs> he wouldn't. Not. I have to force. You have to force him. <laughs> you know. I mean, he, he does now. Like he, he definitely is smart with his recovery. But what he does now is he's more efficient. And um, when I say efficient, he trains with a hundred percent intent. Like everything he does is with a hundred percent effort and intent. And yeah. like, as soon as he's on that court, it's like, I'm going to maximize this session and then I'm going to recover rather than just putting up shots half assed and just doing things half assed and think you're working hard because you're there for a long period of time and not really having, you know, much, you know, output. It's not about, you know, how long you're doing it for. It's about what you're doing and the quality of what you do it with and his obsession with the game and the quality of effort and the intensity that he puts in is astounding. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm not surprised. I mean, it kind of reminds me also, uh, I worked with Alexi Pianozzi with the strength and conditioning coach for the Penguins. Yeah. And he works with uh, Sidney Crosby, one of the best hockey players, right, of his generation. Yeah, yeah. And, and Alexi said to me, look, I asked him, I said, what, what is he like? And he said, he never takes a day off, never. And yeah. he just loves the game, like you said, yeah. like Kevin Durant. So, and it, that can be a blessing and a curse, you know, because like – you know, sometimes the the great in spite of that, it's like that's what they think they need because everybody needs to recover, yeah. right? But 
at the same time, that's what that's why they're so driven. And it's like they're prepared to push themselves beyond the limits, um, especially early on in their career and go through that pain to yeah. then really develop and grow and be able to cope with all different situations in certain environments. But then, you know, that's not sustainable. And that's when you start to yeah. see like if you keep doing that, then you get injuries. Yeah. So you can endure that for a certain period of time. But then you've got to be smart. If you want longevity, you've got to be really smart with how you manage yourself. But yeah. it's still not, it's less about the volume and more about the intensity. Everything should always be trained how you play, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that's that's kind of my philosophy around it. So. Well, and I think as you get older, right, as an athlete, you, you can't just like Roger Federer, right? It's kind of exactly. doing for, you know, less games during the year. He's very focused on the Grand Slams. So you got to manage your, 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 your time and your conditioning exactly yeah manage where you put your effort and then when you where you do put your effort give a hundred percent yeah and then that just sharpens your tools and without fatiguing yourself uh, yeah uh, that makes complete sense uh well look we we we're we at the end of the interview but i enjoyed the conversation so i want to thank you for for your time today and oh my pleasure uh, so good luck for the next season next year with the nets thank you so much julian appreciate it it's great to be on thanks for having me thank you